Hey, this is Gratuitous. Welcome to Music Production Made Simple, the show that focuses on best practices about music production, which is based on FL Studio. If you're wanting to become the best producer you could be, subscribe and listen weekly. You can also check out my courses, which teach you the principles and basics of music production. They'll get you up and running quickly. In addition, I also have books on Amazon and tons of music on Spotify. Always feel free to hit me up at hi at itsgratuitous.com. So let's get into the episode. All right, so welcome to episode number three. This episode is called gears and tools required as a producer. So what I've done for you guys is I've actually created a free course. It's 100% for free. You don't have to sign up with your email or anything. There's no catch. The course is called Essential Gear Needed to Make Beats, okay? It'll give you a little taste test of my actual membership, of what to expect out of future courses from me. Um, And this course is going to teach you the gear that you need and how to save money, okay? I give you a write-up as well as I provide links. They're Amazon affiliate links, so I will get a commission if you click and purchase, which I would appreciate. But the knowledge is there. Okay, so again, it's 100% for free. Just come to the actual episode page. This is episode number three. Go to the resource section, click the link, take the course, learn the gear and save money. Okay, so I just want to talk a little bit about myself in my experience of purchasing gear uh, because, you know, I've made some really good purchases as well as some poor purchasing decisions. um, And I think I could help you buy the right gear as well as save money. Okay, because that's really the goal. You know, you want the highest quality gear while saving money. So when I purchased my gear in my very beginnings, it's like, yes, you need your essentials. Your essentials is pretty much your MIDI keyboard, your audio interface, your speakers, and then you're pretty much like your music program. And that is really like a super minimal setup. And then, you know, acoustic treatment, that is probably even more important than getting super high quality speakers, which I'll talk about later because the environment that you're mixing your music in is very, very important. Okay. So when you were first introduced to making music, I typically find that this is what influences what type of gear that you're going to want to buy. Okay, so there's really two main ways to produce beats. That is like original compositions and sampling. Okay, so sampled beats. So I personally take the approach of original compositions. And the reason for that is because you have 100% ownership, right? You don't have to worry about copyright infringement or anything like that. Uh, you know, you have an original sound because you have created the music. It's your own melodies. But original compositions are a little bit harder to create, okay? Because you're going to need to know some music theory. And if you guys want to check out my course, it's called Music Theory and Chords for Beatmakers. I break down music theory really, really simple so that you can get up and running and know how to you know work with chords and stuff like that Um, but you know so you're going to have to know uh, some music theory to program these MIDI notes to create these beautiful compositions okay so you know there's a little bit of knowledge behind creating these original compositions and then sampling so sampling has been around for a very very long time it's really what has founded hip-hop it's called an MPC it's a drum machine I'll leave a link in the resource section if you want to click through it check out a little article on, on MPC nowadays there's tools like machine and stuff like that which have taken a more of like a software hardware uh, combination approach. The whole thing is what you're doing is you're taking a loop, you're slicing it up, and then you're rearranging those slices to create a different melody out of that melody or out of that song. Okay, so sampled beats give you a very, very special and unique sound. Um, It's very hard to achieve the same sound through original compositions. When you are sampling someone else's music, you have to be careful of copyright. Okay, because you're using someone else's music, like I was talking to you in the last episode, once you become a music producer, your product is like your copyright, okay? And you never want to really give that away ever for free. Like you want to negotiate, you know, down to the wire. If you are going to give up your copyright, you know, you want to make sure it is within your best interest, okay? 
Now you have to be really, really careful what you believe with copyright and what holds true in like court and stuff like that, because you know, you'll hear people within the industry. It's like, Oh, if it's only like a little small snippet, you don't have to worry about, uh, you know, getting sample clearance. And that is, uh, using like pretty much permission to use someone else's copyright, which is like their song. So always be careful with that stuff. Now, here's a cool trick that I've discovered over the years to sample. And that is actually sampling your own music. You kind of get like the best of both worlds, you know, like you're able to sample your music uh, and you don't have to worry about copyright. So what you do is you just create your own melody and you chop it up just as if, you know, you were to chop up a real sample. Um, if you want a step-by-step walkthrough on this, I have created a course. It's called Sample Your Own Music. I'll also leave that in the resources as well. And I just teach you how to, you know, record a loop, how to chop it up, how to create, you know, these slices and create melodies out of different loops, as well as, you know, how to apply effects and make it sound better, okay? Because, you know, sampling is a very, very special sound. And in my opinion, to be a good producer, you want to learn both original compositions as well as sampling, because you can always incorporate all these different techniques into your compositions at different times, depending on the track. Okay, and so like I was saying, so how you were first introduced to making beats, you know, for myself, like a friend introduced me to making original compositions. So as I was going out to buy my gear, I was more catered towards buying like a MIDI keyboard so I could make original compositions. But if you were introduced to music production to like a friend and he had an MPC or whatever, you might be more leading towards like sampling and that style of making beats. So it's just important to know what style of music that you're wanting to create that way you can buy the right gear for your style of music. Again, it's going to allow you to save money as well as get the right gear for the best performance. Okay, so I just want to move into our next section now, okay? So the gear needed as a producer nowadays is simple, okay? Back in the day, studios were super, super expensive. You needed all the hardware gear. You needed space. You needed to maintain that gear. You needed cables. Nowadays, we have a music program and everything is included in that music program. You have as many compressors as you'd like, as many EQs, reverbs, delays, and it's just a matter of just opening up the plugin and you can easily route audio from one insert to another insert by a matter of a click. The workflow is absolutely amazing with these music programs. You know, again, when you read on forums and you have that older generation of loving the analog gear and stuff like that, it's just, we have it so easy now, okay? The music production software that we have, this is the way to do it. It's so much easier. So this keeps our studios super minimal looking, right? Like we don't need, again, all like this hardware gear. We don't need tons of space. It's super, super simple, right? You just uh, load up your project. You could recall a project that you were previously working on, or if you wanted to retweak a mix, it's just a matter of opening up that project. It's, nowadays, it's incredibly affordable. Like FL Studios, like $300 for like the signature edition, and you have a full-fledged studio inside of your computer. You know, computers are becoming way more powerful. They're able to handle this stuff a lot easier. It's really, really cool how far computers and music production have come. Okay, so I just want to move into the actual hardware that you are going to need to set up a little decent studio. So nowadays, in all honesty, I think about for about $3,000, you guys can get an incredible studio. Like you guys can get a really good computer, decent speakers, audio interface, MIDI keyboard, and you know, your actual music production program. And that's pretty much it. We really don't need more than that. Uh, but the thing is, 
where the expense really comes into play nowadays with music production is your room and your acoustics, which I'll cover a little bit near the end of this podcast, okay? So I'm first going to start with your audio interface, okay? So your audio interface is just a sound card that you plug in through USB to your computer, and what it does is it allows you to plug in these special types of speakers, you know, they're called reference monitor speakers. It allows you to plug in microphones like the one I'm talking to you on right now. I'm talking to you on a Shure SM7B. You can plug it in with an XLR cable. You can plug your headphones in. They come with like the preamp so that you can turn up and down the volume. They also have drivers to get better performance out of your music production software, okay? So typically the audio interface's driver performs a lot better than what comes with your music production software like ASIO for All or in the case of FL Studio, they have the FL Studio ASIO. That one actually performs pretty good. I would recommend using the FL Studio ASIO one. But I have found that the Focusrite uh, driver performs even a little bit better than the FL Studio ASIO. Um, but back in the day, uh, my audio interface at the time, uh, I found that like ASIO for all performed better than even like the audio interfaces driver. So it's just a matter of kind of playing with what gives you better performance. But many times these audio interfaces, they come with a driver and typically they're supposed to give you better performance out of your computer. Okay. Now, in terms of like the price point, uh, you have to be thinking about how many microphones will you be recording at once, as well as what kind of gear are you going to be connecting to this audio interface? Okay. So nowadays for myself, my setup is very, very minimal, but as I was starting up, I was trying to do all these different things because I wanted to learn music production. I bought this like hardware preamp and then I bought like a patch bay and I was like, oh, I want to connect this all. I was kind of wanting to go a little bit more of the hardware route uh, just to kind of get my hands on that stuff. But again, Again, as I've started to discover over the years, it's like that stuff's expensive. It takes up room. And in all honesty, it's just like I can do all that stuff inside of my actual music production program. However, over the years, I did buy a nice preamp. Uh, it's the Art Voice channel. Um, and what that allows me to do is just get a nicer, cleaner signal and get a little bit more control over my recording with like some EQ and compression before it actually gets recorded. But again, that's more of like a luxury. So what I'm trying to say with your audio interface, you have to think about how many microphones are you going to be recording at once? Also the gear. So on the back of the audio interface, what can you plug in to it? So in the case of the Focusrite 2i2, I, I think it just has two outputs. So in other words, one goes to your left speaker and one goes to your right speaker. But back in the day, I had like a Mackie Control Universal. And so a Mackie Control Universal was a MIDI controller with motorized faders. And the reason why you want motorized faders is because it gives you like that real hands-on mixing feel. So for example, if you went from one bank to another bank of sounds, the faders would actually switch to where the actual faders would be. The old audio interface I had, you were able to plug in MIDI connections. Okay. It's so like the super old MIDI connections. Like nowadays we just use USB for MIDI and that's the most simple way. Like you just plug it in USB to your computer and that's MIDI. It works. But the older gear, they actually had two cables and it was an in and an out and you had to use MIDI cables. So for example, that Mackie control, it had an in and an out and that plugged into the back of my audio interface at the time because I had a Focusrite Scarlett 2i4, okay? So I still was only able to record two microphones at a time, but it allowed me to connect more things on the back. Um, but over the years, like I said, my workflow has gotten to the point of just keyboard and mouse, so I don't use that Mackie control anymore, and the Focusrite 2i2 no longer even allows me to connect that kind of stuff because I just decided over the years, it's like, the only thing I plug into this audio interface is my microphone, and I use this preamp to help give me a cleaner signal 
and that's it. Typically, I would recommend just keep it simple. Don't even worry about the hardware stuff. If you're gonna be uh, recording, yeah, you might wanna get like a nice preamp just to get a nice clean signal, but beside that, a simple audio interface, this does great, okay? So I just have the Focusrite Scarlett 2i2 second generation, okay? So let's talk about a MIDI keyboard, okay? So I consider a MIDI keyboard like the main hub of my studio workflow, okay? So the most important thing with a MIDI keyboard is to have the transport buttons, okay? So that's your stop, play, record, and looping features. In FL Studio, if you hit the loop button, it allows you to go from song mode to pattern mode. And that is just really, really important just for a workflow thing. Like if you just wanna to listen to the pattern, you just you know hit the button quickly and listen to the pattern. And then you can quickly go back to you know the whole composition in song mode. And the easiest way to set up those transport control buttons, again, that's the stop, play, record, uh, loop, and stuff like that. If you hit F10 inside of FL Studio, you'll see that you have a MIDI controller. Click on the MIDI controller, and then there's presets. Uh, in my case, I have a Axiom 49. I actually use the Oxygen 49 slash 61 preset, and that integrates really, really good with my MIDI keyboard here. The next thing you want to look for in a MIDI keyboard is this the quality of the keys. You know, when you buy like the super, super cheap, like I'm talking maybe like a $90 keyboard, the keys are going to feel cheap. At the end of the day, you're still going to get like the same results out of it for the most part. It just might not be as enjoyable to play as you're actually recording because you can always go in and edit those MIDI notes to adjust your velocity, your timing and all that stuff, right? It's just a matter of having a keyboard to play to get it into your music production program to make that process more fluent as well as be able to be more creative, okay? So quality keys, I would say, is worth paying that extra, you know, 70 to $100 uh, in compared to like the lower end models, okay? You have to be careful with MIDI keyboards. They can get extremely expensive for features that you do not use, and it's always going to be reflected in that price okay so i'll talk about that in a minute okay uh the next thing you know so you know it is nice to kind of have like uh knobs now the sliders i would say are pointless on a midi keyboard and the reason for that is because i just told you about the mackie control where it had motorized faders now they do make midi keyboards with motorized faders i think behringer makes one um, i'm not telling you to buy that i'm just letting you know that and the reason why manual faders are so pointless on a MIDI keyboard is because if you try to use them for mixing, since they're not motorized, what happens is, so right now I have nine faders, okay? So if I adjust them a certain way and then I hit next, go to the next bank of nine sounds, well, it's like these faders are not lined up with what my screen is showing me. And as soon as I move a fader, you know, that actual fader will change in volume or wherever the parameter is uh, to somewhere where I don't want. Um, it's kind of hard to explain, but if you've experienced trying to mix with a MIDI keyboard, the manual sliders, uh, in my opinion, I think they're just pointless to have on a MIDI keyboard. The knobs are nice though, because you can, you know, control your parameters, uh, such as like on like your VST, if you're doing some sound design or something like that. Okay. Uh, same with like the drum pads, most MIDI keyboards, like what they're doing is like they're jam packing all these features in, and then they're just kind of upselling you on it. If you're wanting drum pads, I'd recommend just actually buying a drum pad controller. 
that way, you know, you're going to get higher quality pads and, you know, it's just actually designed for that purpose. I have a 49 key keyboard. I find that that's a nice medium. I find the smaller keyboards pretty restrictive. Like it's different if you're using them for travel. That's one thing. But inside your actual studio, like, you know, you're not able to play over octaves. Right. And then maybe even like the 61, I would recommend too. that would be nice to have. But again, depending on like the size of your desk and your studio, the 49 is a nice size. It allows you to play a couple octaves um, and you can easily just press the octave buttons to go up and down octaves. OK. The next things is like a, a pitch and mod wheel. Those are pretty important on a MIDI keyboard. Uh, just if you're wanting to do some automation within your actual productions or just to kind of play around with sounds and stuff like that. OK, so let's quickly cover those points again on a MIDI keyboard, which I highly suggest to you. OK, so again, you want to make sure that your MIDI keyboard has those transport controls. Pretty much all of them do. But again, that's the stop record the play. Uh, again, it's just for a workflow thing. If you are going to record, you know, you hit record, you hit play. If you screw up, you just hit stop, you hit control Z to undo again it's just a workflow thing uh, the knobs are really really nice to have and again I really feel that it's worth paying, you know, that extra however much just to get some more quality keys. Now, I'm not talking to get like amazing quality, but just better than just the, the super, super cheap uh, MIDI keyboard feel anything more than that. What's happening is these companies are just jam packing features and, you know, these MIDI keyboards, they can get so expensive. But the thing is, a MIDI keyboard has no sounds in it by itself. OK, and that's confusing when you're starting up because you're like, well, where are my sounds? So the MIDI keyboard is all about just controlling your actual music production program. That's why I call the MIDI keyboard like the main hub of my studio, because it's controlling the sounds within my software. For a MIDI keyboard, I'd recommend the M Audio Oxygen. I really feel that that's like your best bang for buck. You get decent keys, you get your knobs, all that kind of stuff, your transport controls, but you're not getting gouged on the price. OK, if you look at like, for example, like a company like Native Instruments, they've recently been releasing like their MIDI controller. And yes, it looks cool. It has it's almost all flashy. It integrates really good with their stuff. But again, with FL Studio, you just want a super simple MIDI keyboard. Trust me, it's going to save you money and it's going to give you amazing results. OK, just be careful not to be paying just this premium for a MIDI keyboard, which doesn't even come with sounds. OK, so let's move on to speakers. OK, so the whole goal of speakers for a studio is to give you a flat response. So what that means is. As a producer, what we're wanting to do is hear the music as accurate as possible and we're wanting translation. So that's the whole goal of mixing. OK, so when we are actually mixing our music, we want the actual music to sound good on every single audio platform, whether that be earbuds, uh, speakers in a car, uh, on a TV, wherever. That's the goal. OK, and we want speakers that can give the truest response of that music to our ears so that we can mix it properly. We can make accurate decisions. OK, so these speakers are called reference monitor speakers. Pretty much when you're starting up, any reputable brand will give you decent results, you know, like Yamaha, KRK. Uh, I started with M Audio when I first started up. Now, when you're picking a speaker, since we are creating like bass heavy music, you know, hip hop, dance, stuff like that, I personally would suggest an eight inch speaker. Uh, when I first purchased these types of speakers, I bought a five inch speaker and it was amazing how much bass they lacked. OK, so the five inch speakers like they, like they had no bass. And I was like, because like they're pretty big, like even the five inch speakers, like you get them, like you're super excited. You plug them in and you're like, there was no bass for me to hear what's going on in the low end. And that's really important. 
as you're mixing your music. You want to hear what's in the low end so you can mix it properly. So over the years, I eventually got eight inch speakers. Those are really good just even by themselves. But I also suggest getting a subwoofer. But with a subwoofer, you have to make sure that, you know, you're not adjusting the volume super loud in the sub. You want it just so that you are hearing that low end a little bit better. You're also going to need four speaker cables when it comes to using a sub because what happens is it leaves the audio interface. It goes into the sub, the left and right channel. So that's two cables. And then it leaves the sub left and right again into the speaker. OK, so you're going to need four. And many times you have to be thinking about your cable length, OK, because many times like your sub may not be close to your speakers or whatever. So you're going to need to get your audio to the sub and then you're also going to need the audio back to the speakers and sometimes even like the left speakers further away than like the right speaker. So those are just things you have to think about as you're purchasing. Over my years, I have just opted into purchasing longer audio cables than I actually need. People within the audio industry, like they're going to be like, no, you have to buy audio cables that are perfect, like, you know, perfect length. Um, and in all honesty, it's like I personally would like the convenience if I end up moving or if I change my studio around, you know, it's like I can move stuff around. I don't have to go and buy more audio cables. Like now, if I was like in a super professional studio where I know I'm setting it up one time, yes, you know, I'm going to make sure that my cables are the same length and pretty much however long they need to be uh, for all that kind of stuff when it comes to noise and you know, but really like when we're just bedroom studio producers, like don't care about that stuff. Like convenience is more important. Okay. Now, depending on your living situation, sometimes you can't have speakers. So headphones would be your alternative. Okay. So just to give you an idea, I use the, the Bear Dynamic DT 990 Pros, but even if your living situation does allow you to have speakers, many times it's nice just to check the mix on the headphones. And even if you're working with vocals, a lot of times it allows you to hear, uh, you know, the actual ster uh, stereo spectrum just a little bit better with headphones. And you can just kind of compare to what's going on with your speakers to the headphones and just back and forth. OK, so again, at the end of the day, uh, it's just all about translation. That's what you're wanting out of your speakers. But here's the kicker. OK, so acoustic treatment and your room. So this is what dictates how good your speakers are going to sound. So. A lot of people think that, you know, you're going to have to buy really expensive speakers to hear the audio better, but really your room that you're in is extremely important and typically it's going to be like your most expensive to fix your room. Okay. And it's called acoustic treatment. And what it's doing is it's absorbing frequencies so that it's reducing the reflections because what happens is when the audio leaves your speakers, you know, it bounces off the walls. And then what happens is the new audio that's coming out is coming to your ears, but the old audio is still bouncing around your room and it comes back and it skews these frequencies and you get like phase cancellation and stuff like that. So you're not able to actually mix the music properly. You know, if you ever walk into a room with no acoustic treatment and you clap, you know, it has like that reverb sound. But if you walk into a room with lots of acoustic treatment and you try and clap, you know, that clap is you know, dampened a lot. OK, so the things I can tell you about acoustic treatment now, you know, I'm not an acoustician. OK, so there's people who are actually trained to know, uh, you know, like the frequency response of your room and, you know, how to treat it. Okay. So here's some things I can pass on to you. Okay. So the first things that you want to do is you want to tame your first reflection points. So when the audio comes out of your speakers, where does it first hit the walls? Okay. That's where you want to tame to help dampen that reflection. Okay. That way you can hear your music more accurately. And by doing that many times your stereo image 
you can hear it a lot better. You can also start hearing, you know, uh, more accurate uh, adjustments to things like reverb and compression and stuff like that. The next biggest thing, which is very, very important, is your bass trap. So what happens is audio, the bass gets really, really trapped in all like your corners of your rooms, okay? So it's very, very important to tame the bass. So again, I don't know tons about acoustic treatment, but that's gonna get you going and give you a little bit of a better understanding. It's just very important to treat your room, okay? Because, you know, people think like you need all this expensive gear, but if your room is not treated, you're really just burning money for no reason, okay? And so the last thing I wanna talk to you about with your gear is how to save money, okay? So you guys can actually be purchasing this gear in bundle deals and save tons of money. For example, you know, there's many times uh, bundle deals with Focusrite where you can buy like, the audio interface with some headphones and like a microphone. And with the speakers, many times you can buy speakers with the stands and like the speaker cables and stuff like that. And you know, it's just gonna save you some money. I wish I knew that when I started up, I bought everything individually. Uh, and then, you know, a couple years in, I realized it's like, oh, you can buy this stuff in bundle deals. So that's a little pro tip for you guys. Okay. So I hope this episode has helped you out and kind of gained you some knowledge, you know, on what to buy and what not to buy. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's about realizing your workflow and how you work. Okay. Because as you progress, what's going to happen is you are going to find out how you work, but in the beginnings you have no idea and you're going to want to try out all these different things. For example, I've tried machine, I've tried MPCs. At the end of the day, I realized it's like that is not my workflow. My workflow is FL Studio. And if I want to sample, I actually like using a MIDI keyboard. I have 49 keys that gives me 49 slices. You know, I'm good to go. It's like it's it's, it's much more simple. I only have to buy one piece of gear, this MIDI keyboard, and I can treat it to play piano. I can use it uh, for sound design. I can use it for sampling. So it's just, you know, over the years, I found that's my workflow. It's simple. Um, but when I was starting up, you know, I spent money buying, you know, this Mackie Control Universal, like those things like $1,000. I bought it used, so I got it a little bit cheaper, but at the end of the day, it was like, yes, it worked with FL Studio, but not as integrated as I'd like. Like, you know, for example, I would have liked it to be able to like open up a plugin and then I could actually, uh, you know, use like the EQ and the compressor and stuff, but it didn't work that way. Like it just worked good for controlling volume. And it's just like, oh, well, I want to be adjusting EQ. So I might as well just use my mouse for everything. Uh, again, you know, I wanted to try like machine because, you know, I, I kept seeing it was really, really popular within the industry and it's just like, well, I just don't work that way. And then in addition, it's like, well, now I'm having to learn like a different music production program. And it's like, well, that's pulling me away from the time that I have to create music or create, uh, you know, a new course or even this podcast or whatever. It's like, you know, I'm trying to learn this other software, I'm not even creating music anymore. It's like, I'm trying to learn the software. Okay. And that's just kind of what I found over the years. It was just like, Hey, do you know what? I bought this machine studio, bought this MPC. I tried them out. I ended up selling the MPC and the machine studio. So what I'm trying to say is over the years, you guys will find your own workflow. You might have to go through some expensive purchases to figure that out, but I just want to pass on to you guys. Keep it simple, figure out what gear are you going to need? And then that's going to save you a lot of money. Again, my course is 100% for free. It's called Essential Gear Needed to Make Beats. It teaches you all about music production gear, how to save money, uh, and what I look for in each piece of gear that I use. Again, when it comes to like a MIDI keyboard, audio interface, speakers, microphones, your actual computer, 
and stuff like that. So there's no strings attached. Think of it as like a taste test of what my other courses will be like. Okay. So that's the episode. Again, if you guys want to support it, I've left a button on the episode page just to support it for $5 a month. You guys can cancel any time as well. So thanks for listening. I'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Thanks for checking out the episode. If you had any questions, visit itsgratuitous.com slash podcast, select an episode and submit your question at the bottom of the page to the contact form. If you'd like to take my FL Studio courses, see my current studio and podcasting gear, read my books or are interested in lessons, visit the link itsgratuitous.com slash learning. That page will redirect you to more info and resources. I hope the best with your productions. I'm Gratuitous and I'll see you in the next episode.